We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dan Schneier of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports, and I'm here with my co-host Nick Turchin, and this is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. We're back for what will likely be our most massive show yet. Obviously, the news broke last night about Odell Beckham Jr. Before we get into that, I wanted to throw it over to Nick and get his initial reaction and where he was when the news broke about Odell Beckham Jr. We were... My girlfriend and I were about to turn on The Bachelor and quickly it went away from any Bachelor any bachelor viewing into uh, a massive, massive tape study, which led into most of last night, into the morning. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll commend you for the massive tape study that, that it led to, but uh, I won't even comment on the fact that you watched The Bachelor, Nick. I guess. <laughs> it's not me. It's my girlfriend. It is what it is. Monday. I've heard that in two before. But anyway, let's dive into the football side of this thing. So let's do the immediate trade reaction from the from from the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. And the way I'm looking at this trade, Nick, and you can you know choose to look at it this way or not. I'm looking at it as one big trade, uh, combining the trades the Giants and Browns made on Friday and Tuesday. So to me, the way I see, especially after learning that the teams basically agreed to swap back picks that they gave up in the Zeitler Vernon trade, which to me makes it seem even more like it was you know just one big deal. But the way I'm seeing this, uh, the Giants traded. Odell Beckham Jr. and Olivier Vernon, and in return, they got Kevin Zeitler, Jabril Peppers, the number 17 overall pick, and the number 95 overall pick. So let me just get your initial reaction to the trade, Nick. Uh, the very, very first thing, um, and I did say this on Twitter, I, and I must sound like an idiot to people, but the first thing I thought was like, wow, Peppers is going to have a defense that he can play in and know that that Betcher is going to love having a guy like this just from what I've heard of him. So that was my first thing was like, hey, what is this guy as good as he as people would think he might be or as good as Don Brown, his college coach, says he is. The second part and the almost bigger, more one take that makes a lot more sense is that how could there not be two first-round picks in this? 
Um, it just doesn't. I thought I thought two first round picks and a player gets the deal done for the Giants side. And so to not see that is pretty much like, okay, so why trade them? <laughs> What's the impetus? Yeah, uh, I think my initial reaction, Nick, uh, is a little bit different than where I'm at right now with it. Um, I will say this, and, you know, I never went live with this on Twitter or anywhere, and I know we talked about this off podcast, but I do have – I'm not going to reveal where, where it's from, but I, I was told about a month ago when the Landon Collins, Josina Anderson report dropped that both Collins and uh, – Collins wasn't going to get the tag and that Odo Beckham was going to be traded. That was about a month ago. I didn't go anywhere with it. It was from one source, um, somebody who, you know, was close to the team, has someone close to the team, but I, I choose not to go with any of this stuff until I get at least two, three sources that are telling me things. But I still was shocked when I heard the news that he was traded, uh, just because I thought the timing of it makes no sense. I think that, you know, what transpired with Odo Beckham Jr. in the last seven months with since signing his big contract with the Giants played a big role in this trade, Nick, no matter what anyone says from this point on. I mean, you look at what's happened since, and you have Dave Gettleman coming in as the general manager, someone who has made it, a, basically made it an effort throughout his career as a general manager. And obviously it's not that long, but he's had some years with the Panthers and with the Giants to eliminate distractions from the roster. He believes that Odo Beckham is a distraction. I'm not going to sit here and debate if he is a distraction or not. Um, I've done, We've talked about that at length, uh, not only on this podcast, but, you know, I've done so since I started covering this beat. Um, and the fact of the matter is this. I know I know from what I've heard, the Giants did not like uh, the interview he did in the middle of the season, and they did not like uh, him calling out the play calling after the loss to the Eagles. Those are two things I know. Now, what I don't know is how much of the decision was from ownership, John Mara, how much of the decision was from Dave Gettleman, how much of the decision was from Pat Shermer. I won't speculate on that. Instead, what I'm going to talk about is this, the value of the trade. I was with you, Nick. I believe that when you're trading a generational talent at wide receiver, you need to get two first-round picks back. Now, if Jabril Peppers can – Jabril Peppers was a first-round pick just two years ago. Um, and if he can return the value that they probably are expecting him to because likely the reason they traded for a player like Jabril Peppers because they had a very high first-round grade on him back in 2017. There's no other reason why they would try to bring in a player like that. So if he can prove to you know provide first-round value for them and they hit on the first-round pick – there's a chance that they could turn this trade into no disaster. But, you know, in the end, I'm with you. They, they should have got a first round, two first round picks for a player like this. But I do think things, have, I do think that the, that the timing of this trade was, was pretty much bad luck for the Giants in the sense that Antonio Brown just got traded for a three and a five. And I think that that also factored into it as well. But Nick, I will say this. Can you think back of one team in the last, you can go back as far as you want. Tell me one team that you can remember that made the Super Bowl doesn't. I'm not even just talking about Super Bowl winners, Nick. Either made the Super Bowl or won the Super Bowl. That was carried by the play of a number one wide receiver. Yeah, I think it's that actually is carried by the play of like in a high impact wide receiver, and includes that game too. I guess you would obviously want to say too. Yep. Um, even if you're not including that game, even just getting to the Super Bowl. Yeah, just getting through. I mean, there are guys that have gone through stretches, but I mean, it's it's. It's just a funky way to look at to, to, to look at that part of it, but yes, I know what you're saying because I'd have to go back. I mean, you're, you're talking about a TO type of player, right? Uh, and that and that doesn't that's the, the football's changed and that's pushed to the slot now in terms of the most the most dangerous player in the field. It's in the slot now, so it's like okay, like it just it, it's not the same game. And so yeah, it's it's is it? Put, put, let's put it this way: Is the spread ISO ball exists? where one guy's dominating the catches, carries, 
on either on running or passing. If one is, is one is one receiver dominating and one running back dominating, no, not anymore. It's it's a ball distribution league for sure to many many different players, in my opinion. Yeah, and when I thought back about that last night, Nick, I I, I thought I came to the same example that Donovan McNabb Terrell Owens season with the Eagles, and obviously you know Owens didn't even play until the Super Bowl that year, but I do believe they got in that position because of the dominance of Owens, but. Even if you look at this Atlanta Falcons team that made the Super Bowl a couple years back, I talked to our Falcons writer on 24-7 Sports, and he and he agreed with me. I mean, he told me straight up, that team got there because of Kyle Shanahan calling the plays and because of Matt Ryan having a career year, uh, not because of Julio Jones. So I do believe from a roster-building standpoint, Nick, this is not as detrimental. My issue with the trade is not getting rid of a number one wide receiver and trying to build the roster through the trenches. Um uh, and with a play-action passing game, my issue is the value they got, and it always will be. And my issue, in addition to that, is the timing of the trade um, because it really shows that the Giants don't have a plan, and that kind of goes back to their decision on Landon Collins. You know, the decision to to pay Landon Collins, uh, obviously he made six years, $84 million, whatever it was. The decision to pay Landon Collins or not to pay Landon Collins should not have been made at the start of this free agency. It should have been made months ago. They have – years worth of game film on him they know exactly what kind of injury history he has they have all the medicals they know everything they know what they want to pay the safety position that should not be something that pops up in their heads you know when the time comes so they should have traded him before last deadline no matter what they got that decision should have been made and this is the same thing with beckham in seven months since he signed this contract i don't care what interview he did with little wayne or whatever i don't care what happened in the locker room with after the eagles game um them calling out the play calling it's nothing should change in the seven months. And, and to me, the pro- the biggest problem I have with this trade, Nick, is that it shows the Giants don't have a clear plan going forward. Yeah, I think that guys guys get so obsessed with dead cap and it's like this constant dead cap conversation. And to your point, it's like you the, the amount of OBJ dead cap that goes into this one transaction, like it makes the Manning this this year's Manning dead cap look like nothing. And that's what, to me, just that, that's the biggest striking thing to me is like, yeah, there's no way you'd ever want to, this was not a plan. This was a, a reactionary or a move after the fact. And that whenever you start doing those types of things, I I don't know, we just, we're we're never going to have that color as to why it really got to this point. But uh, yeah, I'd have to agree basically, right? Like how can anyone not agree? (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. And the other side of it too is like on the, on the Collins side, you know, the guys that keep on talking about the third round comp pick that they may get next year. Well, you don't want to like hinder yourself in the current free agent right. rebuilding market, worrying about the third comp pick that you, that third round comp pick that you may get next year. Like that's just not how you do business. It's like you're so, so people keep on finding the little details on Twitter to kind of say, Hey, like, well, there's still this Avenue through that makes sense. It's like, no, it really doesn't. Um, yeah. At least from where I see. So, so yeah, no, I totally agree there. And the giants are going to have, you know, going into this 2019 season, it's it's essentially a season that's already punted. I didn't believe that the Giants had to punt this 2019 season, Nick. I know a lot of people felt like they had no chance to win in 2019, but I actually felt like if they could land an upgrade at quarterback, they could have won during the 2019 season. I know it seems ridiculous based on where the defense stands, but at the same time, I watched the Dallas Cowboys team two years ago win 14 games in the NFL without a good defense by just controlling the ball and keeping the, the the ball out of their defense's hands and scoring enough points on offense. So I did believe it was possible to not punt 2019 if they upgraded that quarterback. Now, it's hard to believe that's possible when you consider the fact that 20% of their salary cap space is dead money this year. $33 million in dead money. You can't build a winning roster, at least for 2019, 
33 million in dead money. And then when you factor in the extra, you know, 23 million against the cap that Eli is set to, set to make, and we'll get into that next. Um, that's almost 30, you know, it's more than 30% of your roster tied up the dead cap tied up the players who aren't on your team and to, and to a 39 year old quarterback. So, I mean, if the plan with the giants is to seriously start to, you know, look at this 2019 season as just a purely rebuilding year, which is something that, you know, but, you know, NFL Twitter GMs, whatever you want to call them, believe is a smart move. And I think me and you would agree it's not a bad move to, tr- to try to punt, not punt the season. I, I, don't, I, I hate the word punt, Nick, but to try to look forward, I would say, to your future. Uh, then, then it makes a lot more sense. And that kind of gets into my next point, Nick. Uh, fallout from the Odell Beckham trade with Eli Manning. Before, at the end of the season, before the offseason, uh, before Gettleman, you know, basically committed – all but committed to Manning as his starter, which, you know, we'll still, it's still, we'll still find out more on uh, Archie Manning. Eli's dad said, if Eli's going to come back, the giants have to win. He, do- he doesn't want to go through another season. Like he just went through. Well, Nick, guess what? <laughs> we just talked about it. The giants have dead cat spewed everywhere on this roster. The giants are not preparing Manning or any quarterback for any kind of a winning situation in 2019. So that leads me to question this, Nick, the giants still have another, I don't know, 72, 80, however many hours to make this roster decision on Manning. If they release him before March 17th, they'll recoup 17 million in cap space, but that doesn't really matter at this point when, when you consider it, you know, where this, where this team is headed for the 29th season. It matters more for 2020. But do you think there's a chance now that the Giants could kind of walk back that Manning decision and release him before the 17th? I think that my honest guess, and this may be a little bit more out from right field, I think that they don't cut Manning. I think that they draft a quarterback and Manning retires before OTAs. And they are left with with the quarterback they drafted, Kyle Oletta and Alex Tanny. Well, that's an, that's an interesting take right there, Nick. I like that's a bold one. Just because I think that they're – we just talked about for 10 minutes how there's no plan. I don't think – I think we're right. I think they're kind of trying to work through this. And I think that Manning isn't – Manning – kind of wants to see how it plans out, but it pans out a little bit. I think that's why he played last year, right? The guy's a competitor. He wants to be there. And and we we both we, we both know where we stand on that. But I just think that I don't think that they're going to cut the tie. And I don't think that he's ready to cut the tie until it kind of is the realities in his face of going back to basically spring ball with a guy, a, a quarterback there who's basically kind of like, you know, waiting in the wings to take over. And I don't think he's going to want to do that. That's just a gut feel. That's interesting because in that scenario, um, he he waits that he waits and he waits for that draft to play out to see if the Giants acquire a quarterback, which does make sense because you know I, I do- totally get your point on that. But I, you know, I, I'm more so than ever, Nick. I think there's a there's a decent reality that Manning is released before March 17th. I think at this point, um, the Giants can't really guarantee him any great chance to win. I know, I know, you know, whatever you want to say about Manning's relationship with Odell Beckham Jr. And I've heard some stuff that to suggest that Manning was, you know, more more annoyed by by Beckham by Beckham's, uh, you know, the interview and the antics, and then he led on. Whatever you want to make of that, Manning knows what kind of impact Odell Beckham Jr. makes for him as a quarterback. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he's the quarterback's best friend on the field, no matter what he, what you can say about him on or, or off the field. So I would say that you know if he looks at this roster heading into 2019 and the holes on the defensive side of the ball, and now the hole at receiver. It's hard for me to imagine that he would want to come back, come back to that because you know it's not a situation where the Giants are going to give him a contract extension. I don't think so. 
he would be entering a season essentially as a lame duck quarterback uh, with a roster that's not ready to compete. And if his goal was, you know, to be there and help the team get ready to compete in 2020, it only makes sense if they would if they would uh, resign him. Would you agree with that at least? Oh yeah, no, and and I'm I'm more taking my I'm more taking my side of or my point is just like a, a long shot. I the, the the rational mind is thinking the way you're thinking. If I'm if I'm Manny, I I don't know why you want to stay on the roster at this point. Just just to what you're saying, it doesn't. There's not a clear way through, and you're losing offensive assets. It's it's yep. that simple. All right. Well, more more fallout that I'm going to jump into from this uh, Odell Beckham Jr. trade is is the potential speculation, of course. Uh, that the Giants could make a move for Josh Rosen. Um, Nick, obviously, we weren't we weren't doing this podcast last year when I when I when I had when I you know did my pre-draft evaluations on the quarterback class and basically made the case for the Giants to select either Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold. To me, the choice was clear at number two overall. You take Rosen or you take Darnold. You don't look back. You don't worry about trading it uh, back or anything like that. And you obviously don't take Saquon Barkley. Obviously, it didn't go in that direction. But at this point. If the Cardinals select Kyler, if the Cardinals are sold on Kyler Murray, and obviously this is something you know we really don't know too much about. Obviously, all the everything, all this, all the context supports the possibility that they're sold on Murray, but it's not something that you know we anyone can say with any kind of certainty. I do believe the Giants are in, would be in a prime position to trade for Josh Rosen. I think the Giants are one of a few teams that could trade for Rosen, including the Miami Dolphins, New England Patriots. And the Washington Redskins, those are teams that make the most sense to me. I know a lot of people ruled out the Redskins after the Case Keenum trade, but to me, that's not something that would preclude them from trading for a quarterback like Rosen, especially when you consider the fact that any team that trades for Josh Rosen right now is not taking on much of a financial uh, burden because the Cardinals have paid out most of his bonus money and he's under contract for an extremely team-friendly price for the next three seasons. And then after that, the team has a contract option on him which essentially, if he does hit and reach his peak, um, he would, he would, he would basically be, you know, a bargain at that fifth-year team option, which would be the t- a price for the tenth overall pick. I believe it would be in the ten million dollar range. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I, I can, I can double check that later on. But the point of this is, do you think Nick that there's a chance the Giants do swing a t- trade for Josh Rosen? What do you think would be a fair value, or where do you think they would be headed as far as compensation in a trade for Rosen? Um. I definitely think it's possible. Uh, I think I think their bid has to stay with their second round pick. Um, I don't think their bid can go above a second round pick. Their their current existing what's a thirty seventh overall. Their current that 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 pick. I don't think they can go. They can they can move above that. And they should basically if I think that's my top. I guess I'm saying in terms of a uh, of a of a best bid that I would have for Rosen. Yeah, I mean we look at this a little differently, Nick. I think mostly based on the fact that. You know what you'd be getting. I I see so much upside in trading for Rosen, not only based on my evaluation of him, uh, but also because it, he costs nothing against the cap, considering you know how much of his bonus has already been paid out by the Cardinals. And based on the fact that it would be such an incredible roster bargain moving forward for the Giants, and we'll get to this later, but a team that is expected to have an incredible amount of salary cap space next offseason, I believe that that adds value to trading for somebody like that. You're taking a swing and a swing on him, but at the same time, you can also move on from him faster if he doesn't, if he's not successful, and if he doesn't hit the way you want him to because of how little cap space you're invested in him. So, with that said, Nick, I would actually be willing to dangle that number seventeen overall pick 
But I hope the Giants don't bid against themselves in that matter because, like I said earlier, I don't think there are too many teams that can seriously trade for him. And I don't think the Miami Dolphins would offer their first-round pick for him because they didn't make a move to trade up for him in the last draft. And they were in a pretty similar situation from a quarterback standpoint in the last draft. Um, So that's kind of where I stand on that one. But I think overall, Nick, the most likely scenario, at least in my mind, would be the Giants trading up for a quarterback with the new with the newly acquired first round pick. Uh, If that's the case, would you think there would be good value for the Giants based on what you've seen from Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins to trade up for Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins? Yeah. And and I think that it more has to do with a lot more, but just I think that I I think I think there's a much higher probability. That's what happens. And I definitely think they they they're both are worth it. Both are worth it. And especially if they get behind both and, and, you know, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I don't know what the package would look like other than, because it really depends, I guess, what Arizona wants to do. Um, it, you know, and, and if they want Haskins or not. Um, and I really think that, that, yeah, it will happen. I think Haskins can be that guy for sure. So here's where I stand on this, Nick. I'm not as sold as you are on Haskins. I, I'm not, I'm not at a point right now where, I would tr- I would want to trade up for Haskins. At the same time, I am at a point right now where I would be fine if the Giants did decide to trade up for Kyler Murray. To me, I think that um, from what I've seen, Kyler Murray is just – we went over this on the last podcast, so I don't need to dive too much more into it. But I just think from an arm talent standpoint, he has so much more upside uh, than Dwayne Haskins. And I believe that you know he's the type of quarterback to me that can make up for lack of talent at wide receiver with his arm talent. Um so that's basically where I stand on that. But I, w- I think we can both agree, Nick, on the on the nightmare scenario for the Giants, which is staying at 6-17, and 17, drafting a defensive star at 6, and then using the 17th overall pick on Daniel Jones. <laughs> yeah, and that's assuming that Jones would be there. And I think that if you're going to if you're gonna be a first-round quarterback, I just think there's no way that, that um, Gettleman would play that game of hoping he fell, um, uh, Daniel Jones, that is. And if he really felt that strongly about him, I just think that that's not in his style. Yeah. Dylan seems to be the kind of guy that when he starts doing something, he wants to get it done, right? Like, apparently, that's like the one thing you can understand about the guy that when the ball gets rolling, it really gets rolling. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I, I think that's kind of, that, that's a tough spot to be in. Um, and I don't think that obviously since the free agency, uh, the first couple of days of free agency have gone by without them acquiring another quarterback in, in general, that, that, that basically the Jones is actually off the board because of that. I think that's a fair way to look at this, Nick. And I know, you know, I bring it up as a nightmare scenario because just for me, it's a nightmare scenario. I think Jones is just a max out quarterback to me. I think he's got great, you know, he's, he's doing well with the mechanics and footwork and everything. But to me, that's almost the negative, Nick. The way I see it is a lot of what you see good from him is because he's, he's so, he's so far advanced uh, from, in, in, in ways where some of these other quarterbacks are raw, are, are more raw. But to me, Jones has no upside long-term uh, for any team that drafts him. No real upside, at least. You know, I think he could be a playoff quarterback. I don't think he can be a, a Super Bowl-winning quarterback unless, you know, everything is right around him. So I would be I would, I would would be disappointed if the Giants said that. But I think, in the end, what you said is probably the most accurate thing. Gettleman, when he does find his quarterback, is probably going to trade up for him. Um, I think we know that. Or make a trade for him, if it's for Rosen or whatnot. Um but let's pivot a little here, Nick, and dive into a little bit of what you've seen uh, from the chance you've had to dive into some of the All-22 in the game film on some of the newly acquired Giants. So let's start right away with Kevin Zeitler. Uh, yeah, Zeitler, big dude, 6'4", 315, Wisconsin guy from your your neck of the woods over there. Um, was only a three-star recruit coming out of college. Uh, but this kid, and again, this is not this kid, he's a guy. This guy, he's kind of like lost a little bit now at this point just because it's been such a crazy couple of days. But um, 
guy's got some really, really good traits uh, that the Giants are going to like. He's super athletic for a guard, and I know he didn't play tackle at um, at Wisconsin or at least start for any conservative amount of time, but he, he looks that way in his stance. He's kind of upright a little bit, very, very athletic, rangy in terms of the short area, um, and he's, his play speed is very, very good. He's very, very savvy in both pass protection and run blocking. Um, I So it's, to be honest, it's not to – of course, everyone's minds immediately go to like, what's the comparison to, you know, how does he compare to Jamon Brown? And I would say it's like where Brown was very, was very kind of like nimble and athletic. And that's where his athleticism was kind of was based in for a very, very big guy. The best way to describe Zeitler is he's the guy that you do not want to have a fist fight with in a phone booth. This guy's functional strength when you're in close to him is like absolutely out of control. I don't know if you guys follow him on Instagram, but he was at a disturbed concert on his birthday. And that's the best way for me to describe him on, on tape. It's like it's like listening to Disturb, watch him play. What is a little interesting about that is he's not a crazy finisher. He's not like a guy who's going to bury the guy in the ground and have those type of Hernandez clips that guys have seen from UTEP and this year at the Giants where you know he's taking a guy to the ground every single play. It's more like he's going to basically lock someone up. And if someone gets inside of him, they have there's very little chance that they can break away. Um, a couple of weaknesses just real quick. Climbing to the second level was an issue for him coming out of college. He has absolutely improved that. He's absolutely improved his ability to, to take to take certain angles on linebackers, on defensive backs. He has that athleticism. But what's weird is when he takes them on, he's not he's not nearly as aggressive as he is with bigger players closer to the line of scrimmage. I think part of that is to his to his tendency where he wants to get guys in close and basically just kind of like grab them by the collar almost to to kind of take a a normal everyday term and, and apply it to an offensive lineman. Um, so I think that when he, he doesn't like to extend his hands to guys that are quicker than him that he can kind of lose too quickly. Um, and so he doesn't lose often, but I'm just a little wary about some of his climbs um, to the second level. And the questions I have around the screen game, because I talked about how he's mobile, but again, this, this issue with getting downhill and actually staying on guys, or at least getting a piece, because it's very hard for an offensive lineman to get, uh, to get a defensive back, basically, in the screen, to actually touch him in the, in the screen game. Um, I didn't see a ton of screens coming on the on the on the uh, from Cleveland this past year, so I have, I have a couple of questions there and a couple of questions with his first strike. Um, if he's got to be that guy that's got to be a dual read guard and read the blitz, that type of thing. Um, again, he wants to be that that he wants to have that fist fight in the phone booth. Yeah, no doubt. And Taylor, obviously, as you mentioned, um, played at Wisconsin with the Badgers, and I was obviously there at Wisconsin. And he, he was a player who I thought was a sure, – when he came into the draft, I thought he was a surefire player. Just, you know, when you come into Wisconsin, like you said, he never actually played tackle there, but he got experience everywhere. When you go to Wisconsin, you may not be – a lot of the times these guys that end up being excellent pros in the NFL and excellent linemen at Wisconsin in the Big Ten come in as three, four, three or four-star recruits. Um, really what they do up there is an excellent job of developing linemen from both a technique standpoint and, and, you know, everything else that goes into it, the fundamentals of playing the position. And so my question for you, Nick, would be last year, the Giants ran an incredible amount of inside zone. We talked about this in the run game. Um, you know, do you think that he fits the specific scheme the Giants run from a run black blocking standpoint? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I kind of left out, um, in, in double teams, that functional strength comes out. It really, really flashes. So he's a guy that's going to take, that's going to, that's going to gain ground, taking hip to hip, in either an ace, ace block or a deuce block, and get that defensive tackle or whoever it is moving backwards. The climbing issue is more just very specific to him. If they're running a zone scheme where he's got to not engage the combination block and just go right to the second level, and again, he takes the right angle. It's not like he's. 
I think the bigger issue the Giants have had actually in the past two years of having guys taking poor angles and not having the athleticism to get there, he can get there. Um, so, so in terms of what they want to run, which is mostly inside zone, and let's say you know a down block in power because you know I'm envisioning they're going to want Hernandez to keep on pulling. Yeah, that that type he has that functional strength. He is going to gain ground, and especially against some pretty some pretty big dudes at 340 pounds. Oh, sorry, 315 pounds. I apologize. No doubt about that. And I'm also excited about the fact that they now have a pretty damn good guard duo. If you expect that Will Hernandez will take a leap forward in year two. Um, and I think we can expect that from Will Hernandez for sure. But let's move on to another player who I think kind of got lost in this trade, a player who I'm pretty excited about. He was pro football focus's number 18 overall safety last year, number nine through week 15. After a rocky first season where he was kind of playing out of position, um, even in the second season last year, I don't believe he was in the perfect fit for him from a scheme standpoint. At Michigan, uh, they used him all over the place around the line of scrimmage in the deep half. Um, we're talking about Jabril Preppers, former first-round pick, former top recruit, five-star coming into Michigan, the best player I've ever watched live on a football field for New Jersey football. I had a chance to watch him uh, at a high school football game years back, and I've never seen somebody dominate on a football field from an athletic standpoint more than Jabril Preppers. The first play of the game, he housed the kickoff return, where he just looked like he looked like he was playing Madden on easy level. So what do you think of Jabril Peppers, the safety the Giants got in this deal has kind of been lost in the fact that, you know, a lot of people are talking about this. The Giants got a first and third round pick, but they also got a first round pick or former first round pick two years removed from being the first round pick. So let me hear yeah, I think um, I may be a little jaded because I just heard Don Brown at a uh, at a clinic. Basically, every time he brought up Peppers tape, it was like they don't make them like this anymore. And he talked, Brown, Brown talked about how uh, Peppers is, it was held bent on being a safety, but it was kind of it was a, it was a tough stretch to get him to play Viper, which is their version of basically a safety linebacker hybrid. And they he joked that like he loved the name Viper because it, it basically fooled him into playing a linebacker and he didn't know it. Um, uh, you know, he kind of as as you described, he's an athletic freak. Uh, his size is not impressive. He's only two hundred ten pounds. So I say not impressive, meaning if you turn when you turn on his tape, the guy brings the lumber. He's incredibly physical. He plays bigger than his size, but it doesn't, it doesn't transfer into like his body looking bigger. His body, he looks like a small guy who's incredibly strong. So for, to simplify for guys that don't want to get into all the technicalities, it's like he's the offspring of Landon Collins and Matthew. Um, I, he's, 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 he's got a ton of twitch. He's jittery, but he's very assignment sound. He's very confident. And his play speed is, all right, I'm going to go ahead and say his play speed is elite. His play speed is really, really good. He understands what he sees in front of him um, basically most of the time. In Cleveland this past year, he was kind of – he was basically a deep safety or a box safety in the way that Williams views the kind of the rigid 4-3. And since the since Williams, uh, Greg Williams, likes to play so much 4-3, actually base, even against 11 personnel, it actually took Peppers off the field for a large, for a large part of the middle of the, middle of the season. So that's why his when guys look at his snap count, that's why his snap count is kind of reduced. He also Williams likes to rotate his DBs where they play entire series at positions. So if you're not in that rotation, like you're not going to get in that whole series. And if it's a long series, it's going to basically skew the snap count. Just a little bit of context. It took me like forty five right. to wrap my head around. Um, <clears throat> anyway, really good along the line of scrimmage. Very very good foot speed. Uh, very very. It, well, the biggest thing that the biggest thing people have to understand is. He can match up to tight ends, man, in man coverage. 
Like he's really good with his hands. He sticks at the hip. He's a little weak at the catch point. That's like the only weak part of his overall um, his overall repertoire. But if you see, he flashes the ability to make crazy athletic plays. So I think it's just a matter of getting more consistent at that level. And I think the more this kid plays, the more you get him in involved uh, on a day to on a day to day basis, on a play to play basis, the better he is going to play, especially with like, for a guy like Betcher. Um, who's going to basically move around. I think he's going to play the star slash nickelback position to the field. I do think he is fast enough to stay with slot receivers at a time. I think he's going to base as the boundary safety on the other side, basically in Collins's role. He's not going to be – I don't think he's as strong on the run on a consistent basis to move into the money backer position, which is a stack linebacker position and a 4-2 over front. But I do think that he can play around the line of scrimmage a lot as, as basically contain – and as a guy who can make impact plays, um, and he's a guy you're going to want to design blitz packages around. His speed and his ability to dip and rip, taught by Don Brown, taught by really the best guy, in my opinion, to do that. Uh, his the consistency of his pass rush is very, very good. Um, this is a this is a guy that's a he, this this guy can ball. This is not like a stretch to say oh he's like a toss in after two after two picks. It's like no, this is this this this, this guy can play, and and I think that you know. Over time, yeah, I, I do think he can absolutely be a pro bowler for sure. Yeah, Nick, you know where I'm at with this? Because I've, I've, I've looked a little bit more into him, um, not only, you know, in where he graded out last season, but I've also tried to watch some of the clips on him and see where the Browns used him and all that. I think that there is, you know, there's a reasonable path forward, and I'm not saying it's just yet, but when you consider the jump he made from year one to year two, when you consider how kind of relatively new he is to playing the defensive side of the ball, and not necessarily new, but, you know, experience-wise, he was used all over at Michigan and in high school. He wasn't, you know, just like pure defensive player, really, until he came to the NFL. And I know he still, you know, impacts the game on special teams at times. He could, he could even help the Giants in the return game for sure. But Based on the jump he made from year one to year two in the NFL, I don't think it's crazy to say that, you know, in a, in a year or two into his into his tenure with the Giants, he's going to be as impactful for this defense as Landon Collins was. And for this defense, I mean James Betcher's defense, not Steve Spagnuolo's defense in 2016, but James, James Betcher's defense. And do you think that's crazy to say? No, the only difference I would say is where Collins would base himself closer to the line of scrimmage and with the potential to be a stack backer in Betcher's, you know, play calling scheme, this guy is going to, he, he's just, he's better in space. He's, he's more comfortable in space yeah. as part of a too high structure, which by the way, is what the bulk of what the Giants run. Right. Um, and so I think that he gives you that almost added versatility, but I don't think you're getting, I guess the best way to say is if they had done this, as, as well as sign Buchanan, then I think you kind of have to really cooking because you have an actual money backer and then you have the guy that can basically yep. move around as the chess piece. So they, don't have, they don't have that yet, but that's that's kind of how I saw that coming together. It's funny you say that, Nick, because I was literally just about to get into that. And I think that, you know, they're not viewing Peppers in that role. They, they have ideas for where that's going to go. And, and I thought it might be Buchanan as well. I think in the end, the Giants, you know, really stuck to wanting to sign him cheap for a prove-it deal. And I don't blame them for that because he really hasn't been that great of a player uh, since his rookie season. Um, but I think that they have other plans for that. I think there are a lot of players in this draft class who could fit that role at 17 uh, or at 37. You know what I mean by that? Uh, Maybe the, not a lot of players, but there's a few There's a few I got I got my eye on for sure. In the, fir in the first round, the only guy is Devin Bush. And he's a fellow. Right. Bush, Bush and, and what? And what about you don't think White could play that role? 
I think that he's a little big, and I think that he's the traditional Mike who's going to flourish on going sideline to sideline. But I think that the overall consistency of he's just not a Mich- he's not a Michigan guy. It's just, it's it, the overall consi- his overall fundamentals. He's still pretty raw. His talent is crazy. Yeah, but, but you're gonna. I think it's, it, it's not as carbon. It's not as it's it's not it's not a plug and play as plug and play as as Bush is. All right, maybe I'm just too enamored with Devin Bush, a player who I've been wanting the Giants to get for a long time. Um, and maybe you know it's not easy. You don't want to lock into one player, but I do think the Giants have ideas from this draft class about how to fill that role because it's a role that's not. We've talked about this on past past podcast, Nick, but it's a role that's not you know employed by every single defense. This is the this is where the Giants could find value in a niche. We talked about this in building a defense different from how a lot of other teams, the NFL are, are viewing, you know, this position that you talk about this money backer position. Not every team has this position. And I'm not saying that I'm at the stage yet. And I want to get there where I can pinpoint, you know, five guys who can play this role in this draft. And I'm hoping we can get to that point, Nick, as we get closer to the draft and as we have more time to break down these guys. And, you know, as we get closer, once free agency wraps up, we're going to be doing just pure draft podcast. So I think we'll get there, but if they do have that plan in mind, then I think that Peppers, uh, you know, is an even bigger piece for this process because it's much harder, in my opinion, to find a safety than someone who fits into that role. Yeah, I think this is what you're outlining is really why guys like me who are so defending of Collins, understanding that you could spend two yep. to three years with only two or three picks in the top 100 trying to find a guy like that again. It's just It just doesn't really come along that ready unless if you're willing for that full developmental mode or it's a year to two out. Um, anyway. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But the Giants didn't only only fill one of their two uh, vacant safety positions yesterday. They filled the other with a player who I think was very underrated by you know initial reaction by Giants Twitter uh, based on what I've seen from him. Uh, not only in James Betcher's defense dating back to 2017, obviously he played in a different scheme in 2018 and his production fell off a little bit. I mean, not, not his actual production because he did set career highs and tackles. Uh, and sacks last year, but his production overall. And we're talking about Anton Bethea, the Giants' second safety, who they believe is going to kind of start immediately. Obviously, he's 35 years old. He's not a long-term solution. But I think he can be a solution for, you know, a short stopgap window as they try to get the younger safeties that they either draft or or we're talking about Chandler, Michael Thomas, more acclimated to playing more defensive snaps. What have you seen from Bethea? And do you think that my optimism on him is reasonable? Yeah, it's reasonable, and I think that the you know the age is kind of just the biggest factor. Just knowing that he's thirty four, thirty five, right? Thirty five turns thirty five in July. Right. Um, you know, for uh, he's kind of typecast as a free safety, as a middle of field safety, and that's how people remember firing up the Betcher tape from seventeen with the blitz, the kind of the, the a lot of man blitzes that they ran. That he was kind of the guy in the backside. He has very good. He's pretty aggressive in his reactions uh, in terms of reading a quarterback. Um, probably not as aggressive as uh, as his as his counterpart Boston last year. They're actually both pretty similar, Trey Boston, and he. Uh, if, you, if you fire on the fire on the 2018 tape, um, anyway, he's a, he's a solid player. Um, can play down in the box. Can can he's, he's solid in the fit. I would just say he's overall he's 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 he has, his his traits are not as high level as some of the other guys we mentioned earlier in the podcast. But his fundamentals are very, very strong. Um, he can he can handle some tight ends in uh, in man coverage. I think that this I think his issues maybe kind of deal more with size. I think the bigger tight ends they're not going to want to have him you know rotate in on that on that 
on that side. I think the biggest thing that, that we're talking about, when we're talking about all these players, like we're saying is versatility. Not one of these guys can throw in one main thing and say, Hey, he's just arranging this, that does this. It's like, no, they all can do things pretty well. Just the overall varying, the, the overall degree that, that Bethea can do them is, is basically a little less. Um, and, you know, he's an, he's an impact player from, from a hands perspective and from a, from an interception perspective from his traits, you know, his, his interceptions weren't necessarily like, you know, luck or, you know, he creates basically on his, on his own too. And, and I, what I liked is the ability last year, the confidence that they had last year and to put him in man situations, man cover situations, because actually well, Wilkes likes to blitz a lot um, and blitz with both zone and man behind it. And, you know, he hung in there. It was one of those things where, you know, I think if you compared him to everyone of the giants last year from a coverage perspective in the defensive backfield that are corners, I would, I, I think that he, he would basically be a, a top cover or safety. Um, for for the Giants, so definitely a baseline upgrade there. Just overall, the only issues are just the long termness that he's just an older guy, and it's just not going to be basically more than two years. Yeah, I, and I think what you one point you harped on that I'm really most excited about is that the Giants will finally enter a season. And again, we know this is a stopgap; it's not a long term solution. But they'll enter a season with safeties that are interchangeable, and I think that that's extremely important for James Betcher's scheme and what he's trying to accomplish. Uh, on the defense side of the ball. But these aren't the only uh, player movement for the Giants. The Giants also made the decision to tender John Jalapio and then re-sign Spencer Pulley to a contract that, to me, is now looking like a bargain when you consider what every other offensive lineman on the market has gotten. And I'm looking at you, Bobby Hart. Um, but uh, what do you think of these two decisions to kind of, you know, almost lock in, essentially, that you're going into 2019 at the center position, with the center position basically already filled, especially when you consider Evan Brown, the undrafted free agent they signed last year, is probably going to have a chance to also come back and compete. Yeah, I'm, um, uh, I'm not that surprised on the Jalapio front just because everything, the, the, the commentary you hear is that they really like him and they like him as his developmental center. I'm a little, I'm actually kind of very surprised on the pulley front uh, just because his play strength and his ability to kind of, it, he wasn't a bad player, but he had issues in combination blocks for basic inside zone stuff. And he had, and he had issues in, in pass pro that, you know, I, I didn't see him as that versatile guy. And I think that, you know, I don't, you know, I, I still, I guess I don't know if they're going to draft anyone on the interior line. I thought that the interior line was set up this year in the draft where you could take a flyer on a fifth rounder and get the guy who has that play, has, who has better play strength than pulling. Um, and then you could kind of build on that, seeing that he would be a backup. So a little surprise on the pulley side. I, I can see that, Nick, but I also think there is some in value uh, on the offensive line to continuity, just from what we've seen over the years. I think there is some added value there that could be playing a role in this. Um, but, you know, I, I, I can agree with you from the point that I haven't been extremely impressed with Pulley, but I think at the, val at the, bar at the deal they signed him for, I'm fine with moving forward with that, with the expectation that he's mostly going to be depth with – uh, and Jalapio, they believe, will take that next step forward. Um, but obviously there's other movement for the Giants, Nick. So I wanted to talk to you a little about what your thoughts were on the initial contract that Landon Collins signed. I know you're a very, very big Landon Collins supporter, uh, you know, obviously of his game and of his impact on the Giants and what he meant to the, the franchise. Do you think that he, the Giants, you know, should have – if the Giants were going to keep him, they were going to resign him. They weren't going to put him under the tag. That was obvious. They weren't. That's just not the business that they wanted to do. Do you think that he would have been, you know, a I, I don't want to say value, but do you think he would have been an asset uh, at the contract he signed with the Redskins? Because don't be and no one should be fooled into think that you know the, that Collins' agent didn't know what he was going to get on the open market before the Giants decided to move on from him. He knew. He told the Giants that that's what the expectations were, 
and they went from there. So what do you think about kind of the contract and, and where it's at and, and the question I asked with regards to that? Yeah, I think it's it's great to see it's great to see a guy get paid. It's great to see to understand the dynamics of why he doesn't want to want to go down the tag route. Like there's only so many opportunities you have to get paid, and there are no guarantees basically. So, you know, he basically got paid triple or quadruple the cat the 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 uh, the twelve or the eleven million that he would have gotten um, in terms of guaranteed money uh, for for a one year tag deal. So I, I get it. I, I guess what you're kind of trying to see is like you know, would the Giants have had to sign him at a discount um, to what the other of the other best offer would be for his services. Yeah, they probably would have had to do that. And that's just that's just how the market kind of moves for players and free agents that, you know, that that play well and that guys value elsewhere. And and that's part of how I don't know, it's, it's part of the, the tough part of the NFL and understanding how you want to, you know, how you want to develop relationships and develop your young people. And I think that the harder part almost is that I still think the harder part of the conversation is not having is not wanting to have the conversation with the leader because of the message that that sends to the, to, to the to the locker room. But I'm not in the locker room. That's just more of that judgment. Um, and I think overall that yeah, you know, would for him to stay, would they've had a t- would there bit have been a discount and maybe for the right reason? Yeah, but they they didn't even, they weren't even willing to entertain that. Yeah, I think where I stand on it, Nick, is that well, I don't think he, he actually signed the contract that is an excellent value for the player. Is I think that something has to be going on more behind the scenes as far as injuries go or potentially even just, you know, off field stuff for the giant decision to move on from, because especially knowing what they, what we know now that they, you know, have cleared out all this salary cap space moving forward for the 2020 season, you can afford to maybe overpay if that's what it would be uh, for a player like Collins. And like you just broke down, Nick, you if they had kept Collins, let's say they did resign him for six years, 84 million uh, to be on the giants. That doesn't mean they couldn't have traded for Jabril Preppers. We just went into how they could play different positions within the scheme. Uh, and and I know you you would agree with that, correct? Yeah, no, that's the whole goal is to get like depth at the at the DB position that can do different position, versatility, players who can play multiple roles within this scheme. Um, right? Yeah, no, hundred percent. Exactly. So that's really where I stand with why I was disappointed in the decision not to pay him, but I can't. I can't honestly say that I know exactly what is what the situation with you know his injuries moving forward is. I don't think it's anything serious because the Redskins signed him to a huge deal, um, but you know, or the off-field stuff. But that that's kind of where I stand. I think that the Giants could have afforded essentially to pay a lot of money and allocate a lot of cap space to a, to a safety, considering where they will be moving forward with the salary cap, especially when you consider their ultimate goal is to target a quarterback on a rookie contract. But we'll move on to another player who was also signed uh, as a former Giants free agent. We're talking about Jamon Brown, who signed, I believe it was a three-year yeah, three year $18.7 million contract with the Fal- with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, obviously a lot more than Spencer Pulley got paid, but obviously different players. What did you think of that deal, and what did you think uh, – did you think that there was any, you know, anything the Giants did wrong in this situation, I guess I would say? No, I think you know, when, when you have a chance to upgrade to Zeitler, who I would put above him in terms of oh, – talent you know you get a chance to do that with a guy who the contract is friendly to, to many parties involved in that whole transaction and um you know i think brown played 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 honestly played solid when he was here i i didn't expect more i think i would have i think he would have he would have played better with a whole season under his belt and a whole training camp etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh you know you certainly see him on on it on the social media side of things uh, you know, he's an upbeat guy. He's very, you know, he's, he's a team guy. So I think it's a good signing. And then Kim and Carpenter down in, uh, in Atlanta are going to do better than people uh, people realize. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I think that 
it worked out for both sides though, Nick, because I do believe yeah. there was an upgrade and there's obviously no more guaranteed money tied to his deal um, from the Giants side. And the Giants, you know, didn't, you can't, you can't sign someone to a three year $18 million contract to, to be on the bench. That's just not the, the dynamics of it. So unless the Giants felt like there was a, a viable route to put him at right tackle, which I don't believe they felt, it, it just worked out how I thought it would. But I kind of wanted to dive a little into before we got into the before we got into questions from from the listeners, I wanted to dive into the salary cap outlook for 2019 and 2020, Nick. So obviously we, we already went into um, we were already into 2019 cap situation. The Giants have, like I said, 20% of their salary cap tied up to dead money, 30% total when you consider Eli's contract. But in 2020, Nick, the Giants are set to have currently $90 million in salary cap space. Now, once the cap goes up, that number could get closer to $100 million in cap space. In addition to that, the Giants can save all but $3.5 million in dead cap by releasing Janoris Jenkins next offseason. That would be another $11 million in salary cap space if they chose to go that route. In addition to that, the Giants could save all but $3.5 million, and that's another $12 million in cap space by releasing Alec Ogletree if he doesn't work out. So when you look at this situation with this team, they're clearing – oh, and by the way, I didn't even touch on the fact that if they do keep him, Nick, they could also clear – if they do keep them, I'm sorry, Nick, they could also clear another – 6.2 and another 6 million with only a total of 3 million in dead cap from releasing Rhett Ellison and Kareem Martin. So really this team is positioned in the 2020 uh, offseason to make a big run at players if they want to. Um, so I think with regards to everything they've done, and we've talked a lot about how we don't think they have a clear plan. A lot of the decisions are re- reactionary. They have, there is no way really to get around the fact that they have set them themselves up in a, in a very nice position from a salary cap standpoint. Would you at least agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's where I think the guys who are were frustrated about the plan are thinking about the last eighteen months, and then the way to kind of backdoor into that where you could have started that whole process earlier. But that's that is what it is. I mean, I, yeah, and the point is, yes, in in twenty twenty, they're going to have basically a lot of maybe still a lot of holes and a lot of ammo. They're going to have a lot of holes, Nick, but they're also going to have a surprising amount of kind of talent on that roster. For when you consider the fact that they're gonna, ha- they could have up to like 130 million dollars if they make some of the moves we talked about, um, or even more if they cut all those guys, because they're still gonna have even within that 130 million. Let's say they cut all four of those players, which I don't think they'll do, but let's say they did cut Jenkins, Ogletree, Ellison, and Bark. Or I'm sorry, not Barkley and Martin right there. So then, if they made those moves per se, they would get back 11, 8, 9, uh, 20, about. $32 million plus what you would prorate uh, the cap going up. They're going to have, they would have like 130 million to spend with Evan Ingram already on the roster. Still Zeitler, Barkley, Solder, Hernandez, Peppers, Tomlinson, Carter, Beal, BJ Hill, you know, uh, and then kind of, you know, more secondary players as you move on. There's still a ton of holes there when we talk about, but then there's also a ton of cap space. And, and, and in addition to that, most importantly, Nick, there's not many bad contracts at that point. If, if they go that route, the only really bad contracts that they would have still remaining on their on their 2020 roster or their cap going forward would be the guys we talked about who they might release. So I think that's really where the Giants are in position to to kind of strike it, or where the Giants, I guess I would say, are in a good salary cap position, just from the standpoint of they don't really have any bad contracts after the season. Yeah, and I think the only other point I would have to that, though, is that the player development side has to continue to improve. They have to for oh, yeah. From guys that they have from they draft to guys that that they get in free agency at all levels have to basically if you the other way to think about this is I know we're trying to forget last year, 
But look at all the free agents that they brought in last yeah. year that did not produce anything. You can't have those types of whiffs because it all adds up. And then it reduces your level of need that you have when you then go to spend that money that you will have in 2020. Um, so I guess I'm not willing to say like, hey, like 2019 doesn't mean anything. But to your point, we're looking to the future. I think 2019 means a ton for them to actually get production from spots that you wouldn't think of, I guess is what I'm saying. Sure. I can agree with you on that for, for, for sure. Um, and But I also think leading into that, Nick, before we dive into some of the questions that everybody has, um, for us, uh, it doesn't. Th their 2020 cap space and their 2019 cap space does not is not what precluded them from signing Preston Smith or Zadarius Smith or any of the guys they were rumored to be interested. And in. I think they decided not to sign to sign those guys because they didn't think that they were worth the price that they were getting paid from other teams. Because if you look at it, sure, the Giants only have about 30 million dollars in cap space remaining for 2019, but. Any deal they sign now can be structured so that the cap hit is minimal now and pushed back into 2020 and 21, 21, uh, sorry, 2021 and years beyond where they have all this cap space. So I do believe that there's a chance they could still sign a guy like Daryl Williams uh, once he comes in for team to visit teams to take a physical. And really, you know, any Marcus Golden, maybe, I mean, that's not a player I would want to sign for a big deal, but I don't think they're out of the market to sign any big contracts based on how free their cap space is beyond the season and how easy it is to just structure a contract. So caps, so the cap hit is, is more weighted towards the, towards later years in the deal. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's definitely a good point. Sure. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Cause we got a lot of these uh, and we're going to start getting to them now. A lot of questions from the fans today, which is awesome. Like I, like we've talked about before, this, this is the best part about doing the show. So we'll start with uh, Dodge who asked, who, who's a, who's a, who's a long time listener of the show and, Definitely, definitely one of my favorites because uh, we've spoken a lot off air about the Giants. So he asks, "How many years?" I think this one's a joke, Nick. But how many years does Eli now get extended? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no. <laughs> Is it possible? Uh, here's an interesting one. Is it possible for this team to win now? So I do believe he means in 2019 with Eli. Um, and so, and and then it, it's a it's a three part question. He says, "Where does the pass rush come from, and where will the defense will the defense be the downfall next year?" But let's answer that first one because I think that's an interesting hypothetical. Is it possible for the team to win in twenty nineteen with Eli? No, 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 not 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 with, uh, not unless if there's some massive change in 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 the in the play, um, you know, in the play in the back half of the season. That if there's a massive if, if he has the best season he's ever had in his life. Better than better than eleven twelve, and that's not going to happen. So I would say no. Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what he means by win. Like, if he means like, uh, let's take it as he means make the playoffs or like make make the playoffs and be competitive in the playoffs. Not necessarily maybe make a run, but be competitive in any game they play in the playoffs. I would say no to that question. I think there's a chance. I know you you'd find this crazy, Nick, but I think there's a chance they could win more than five games with this roster and Eli. I really do believe that. I know it sounds crazy, but this team wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad on offense in the games without Odo Beckham Jr. last year. I know it's crazy to say. I know there's so much context that goes into the defenses they played uh, in, in that span. But they did also, in that span, play uh, the Titans, a defense who obviously fooled Eli Manning. We talked about that on the podcast after that uh, with a lot of the, the pre-snap looks and a lot of bluffing, bluffing things that they ended up doing. But I think that with how easy the Giants' schedule it should be next year, it's possible for them to win more games. But I will agree, unless he returns to 2011 form, Eli, which he's not going to return to, they can't actually make a run with him on the roster. All right, Gary Hartman asks, 
What do you see the Giants doing now at wide receiver? They're incredibly thin outside of Sterling Shepard. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I had enough time to really. To really I, I think they have. To, I think they they're they'd be smart to re-sign Latimer. Oh yeah. I guess they're not going to. I, I don't know. I mean, no. I, I guess that, that that's still a possibility. And you know, in terms of playmakers, I look at it two ways. If you have a guy who can distribute the ball on time where it needs to be. Who has just enough arm and is super strong between the ears? Yeah, they don't. They don't need. They don't need some crazy level of talent at wide receiver one in terms of like spending draft capital or free agent capital. If you don't have that, I think you got to have talent. So you know, it's kind of one or the other. I don't think the free agent market right now is going to dictate that they can get that wide receiver one guy. Again, we don't know. They're not. They, there was some chatter that there's more, more, more trades or whatever to come. But you know, I think that that the QB is the main way to. The QB can make all wide receivers one through three where they need to be, I think, uh, in, in any system, quote unquote. Yeah, Nick, and I know we've talked a lot about this off air. Uh, so Gary, and I know I've talked to you about this on Twitter, but I'm with I'm I'm, I'm even more in that on that side of the boat than Nick is. I don't believe I don't believe the Giants need to do much at wide receiver as far as spending capital. I don't mind them using that third round pick on wide receiver if they like one. I don't mind them uh, going after a few guys they like in free agency. I think I'm with Nick. I hope they re-sign Latimer. But I think that the main way to build this roster out is with the quarterback first. They have to find a quarterback and then continue to build the trenches um, on, uh, in addition to that. And I believe that, that you know, the Giants' weapons are a bit underrated right now. They still have Barkley, Ingram, and Shepard. These are three players who are good receivers, regardless of what you want to say about the impact Beckham made or didn't make. These guys are good players. Um, and, yeah, sure, not only one of them technically plays wide receiver – but all of them are involved in the passing game, and all of them will continue to be even more involved in the passing game. Ingram, who would have been way more involved if not for the injury last year, we know that based on how involved he was down the stretch of the last season. Barkley, who only got even more involved in the passing game as he got more acclimated to the NFL game. So we're talking about those three guys, and then you also, if you bring back Latimer, potentially Corey Coleman, I personally would, ne- would not even consider using uh, one of the two first-round picks at wide receiver. That's how I would build a roster out. Um, under no circumstances. When you look at the last six draft classes or five draft classes since the 2014 year that hit, and then when you even compare, when you look even further than back than that and go all deeper back, like a decade back, and take out that 2014 class where obviously, you know, Mike Evans and Odell Beckham hit, among others, the the the, the bust rate at the wide receiver position in the first round of the NFL draft is higher than any other position in the NFL. So what you're doing there is you're going against the grain and you're hoping that you can be the team that finds the outlier at wide receiver. You could be the team that finds some playmaker. And even then, you go back to what Nick said. Does it really even matter when you have a quarterback who can read the defense and distribute the ball well? And then doubling back down on that, even more reason why I don't want the Giants to go in this route. Look at Dave Gettleman's track record for evaluating wide receivers. It's not pretty, guys. He's good at evaluating other positions. Receiver's not one of them. So to me, I don't think the Giants have any kind of desperation uh, at the wide receiver position after this trade. Uh, Marcel asks, um, I trusted DG, I did. But moving on, uh, but moving all these guys in counterintuitive with picks 6, 17, 37, our third rounder and multiple fours and fives, where do we go? How many of these picks need to be successful for the Giants to get back on track? I, I don't think at this point the overall success is going to be the picks that we know and we see. There's only three in the top 100. You know, a first rounder is roughly, you know, roughly 50% of a success rate. How do you define success? That's a whole other conversation. Right. They, they need more. It's not going to be through the, through the draft alone. 
through this draft alone, unless if they somehow get two more picks in the top 100. It's just, it just is what it is. I think it, it's that part of it is going to take a lot more time. Yeah, it's going to take time. It's got to be patience. Like, like we've talked about before, the, the best NFL teams uh, make, this, make the decision to build their roster via the draft and then supplement it in free agency. So it's going to take stacking multiple strong draft classes. We look at the 2018 class, the first class of Dave Gettleman's regime, and it's, you know, for all the faults you can say about his, uh, about his decision-making when it comes to trades or signing free agents, he does. He did prove to at least have a pretty decent, at, at worst, let's say decent, because I know nobody wants to give credit for anything. Uh, I, when it comes to evaluating talent, he got BJ Hill in the third round. That was a great pick. That was a great find. Will Hernandez, people say it was the easiest pick to make, but then why didn't all the teams who, you know, why didn't anybody take him before the Giants hit at number 34 overall? I can think of at least two handfuls of players in the first, who were selected in the first round who Hernandez should have been taken before. Lorenzo Carter, the jury's still out on, but you got to like what you've seen so far there too. And then obviously Barkley's a whole nother story uh, based on, you know, where they selected him. But at the very worst, he's a great talent. So I think it's going to take stacking draft classes for sure, but it's too it's too early to say. It's, it's a process for sure. Um, Ian Bromberg asks, if you were the GM right now, what would you do with the 6th and 17th pick? And are there any free agents you would sign who are still in the market? Uh, <laughs> on the spot, Nick. The, the play GM questions are really funny because it's like literally like with, with incomplete information. So uh, with the 6th pick, I would find a way to get the quarterback that you want. Um, with the, I would hope that wouldn't include, including using the 17th pick. If you still have the 17th pick and you have a shot on, an, on a guy, you have to find a way to get the pass rusher. Even if that means finding over Devin Bush, who I think would be a great fit for this defense. I just think that you, you, the pass rusher has to be addressed. And that's, that's the weakness that they have right now. Um, because the pass rusher, the same way a quarterback can make the whole wide receiver, Group better, the pass rusher can make the entire defense, including the secondary, competent. They're not there yet. Um, so I think that's what that those are those are what the, the the two main objectives are. And I think if you wait to the second round for that fast rusher in this draft, there's the, the, it's deep, but you're not gonna get the production you need in week one. Um so yeah, I, I think that's that's gonna be that's gonna be the way it is. And I think they do have to as well take a look at market a guy like Golden as a pass rusher because I think they have to at least find some way to address the need before they go in and, and, and go into the draft um, as well. I like that answer, Nick. I'm, mine's a little bit different than yours, but if I'm GM of the Giants right now, I am addressing pass rusher before the draft. We'll start with that. I'm taking the cheaper of the two from Shaquille Barrett or or uh, Marcus Golden. I'm also consider, strongly considering spending you know, what might what might likely end up being big-time money to upgrade right tackle immediately with Darrell Williams. Like we talked about, Giants are committed basically nothing to their 2020 cap. They don't have any bad bad contracts coming in 2020. So I think that they can take a chance uh, on a player who was injured in 2018 but dominant basically in 2017. As far as the draft picks go, I'm taking the best pass rusher at six personally. Uh, I'm trading the 37th overall pick for Josh Rosen. And I'm taking – at 17, I am – taking uh, maybe Devin Bush. I'm maybe taking Dalton Reisner because uh, I do believe, you know, it can never have too many linemen. Even if they do sign Darrell Williams, Nate Solder's not going to be here forever, and they're going to need to eventually have somebody there at the other offensive tackle position. Not to mention, I wouldn't be so shocked if Reisner could play on the interior as well, um, but that's a whole other story. Uh, and, and if I'm not taking him, I might take Devin Bush. There's a lot of options at 17, uh, I believe, if the Giants go pass rusher at six. But as far as the quarterback position goes and why we mean Nick Differ – at six, I think that me and Nick are just a, a little 
a little off on Haskins. He's a little bit higher than I am on Haskins. And while I'm very high on Kyler Murray, uh, I don't really foresee foresee a formula for the Giants to get him in this draft class. I guess I guess what I would say is even if the Cardinals don't take Murray at number one, I think that somebody will. And I'm not so sure the Giants are gonna are, are gonna be in the in the running to trade up for him. Uh, so I guess that's where I would stand right now. Um, Michael Rossi asks, I'm not, I'm not upset. Well, it's, it's a question with a statement. I'm not upset that Odo Beckham is gone. I'm sad that the talent is gone. Did the Giants get enough back? Is this a full identity philosophy shift? How long until the Giants can be relevant again? Okay, I guess we've answered a lot of these questions already, haven't we, Nick? Yeah, I think the, yeah, the overall value is not there. I think that, you know, I'm a little more optimistic that it doesn't have to be some culture change. I think right. that it can be different 14 months from now just as it was different 14 months ago. Um, although some people would say it's probably not. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and I think that, yeah, we kind of hit a lot of those points uh, in terms of, of what the overall value of the trade was for sure. And Andre asked us, do you believe the Giants actually keep number six and 17, or do you believe that they will trade up to number one uh, because Gabe Gottman has a conviction on this year's senior bowl MVP? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's a hard... I don't know. The only reason why is because you have to know what part of me thinks that they're that their interest in Murray is genuine because they, he's a great, he's a great football player. But I think that the better fit for a guy like Pat Shermer is a guy that distribute that, that is a guy like Haskins. You know, does that mean it's the perfect fit? No, because I think they're kind of it's 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 an either or. Um, and I think it's going to depend on whether or not you know Arizona is going to take that is going to take Murray. And then everything else kind of plays off of that because if he if Arizona doesn't take Murray, then you may not have two quarterbacks going in the first six rounds, the first six picks, I should say. That changes the game for a lot of the players, for a lot of the teams in those first six picks as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's going to be the domino that 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 you know kind of, I guess the word is starts the rest of the draft um, right. in that sense. Um, as far as this question goes, I would be shocked if the Giants trade up for Daniel Jones with the number one pick. It would be really a devastating, in my opinion, devastating move for the franchise that could set them back for just like years to come, just based on my evaluation of Jones, which could be wrong. Who knows? Um, Alex Lewin asks, let's say the Giants do trade the number 37 pick for Rosen. What is the best outcomes the Giants come away with? Um, not what they will do, but what should should they do if they stay put at six and seventeen? I guess we we've kind of dove into this, correct? Yeah. So now, so now if you're on the if you're on the Dan Schneier plan, yeah. and then you Let's say you're on the Dan Schneier plan, and that means that Rosen is uh, sorry. That means that um, obviously Arizona is taking a quarterback. Yep. So like you're kind of vying at six. I still think you could get whatever I the, the whether it's defensive lineman or defensive rusher at at six. And then yes, if you're still there at seventeen, then you're then okay. Let's say that all plays out and you get a great pass rusher at six. And let's say it's the thirteenth pick. And, and Bush is still on the board, then I would trade up and get Bush. Um, yeah. That like then I would get aggressive there. Maybe you dump the third round pick that you had. Whatever you like, you find a way. I would find a way to package that and actually move up if if you're that kind of if you feel that way about it for sure. No doubt about that, Nick. And Cody Kyer asked, "What? Well, how does this team look cap wise for 2020?" We went over that, but he also says, "What are the chances the Giants move up for Kyler Murray?" I, like I said, I want to say genuine. I would only throw it, and I'm, I feel like I'm like just throwing things in the wind here. But like twenty to twenty five percent max. Like I just don't see. I don't see it higher than that, just because of the overall profile and the risk profile. But I think that the guy's that good in a player. 
Uh, it's just I think that the overall the odds are much more tilted towards uh, Haskins. I think the odds are definitely much more tilted toward Haskins, too, if the Giants are going to take a quarterback in this draft class. I think most of that comes down to kind of personality of each player from what I've seen and what the Giants traditionally look for at the quarterback position. Um, but we'll, we'll find out. Uh, Stan McCune asks, based on the cornerback talent in this draft, where do you think Sam Beal would go if he was in this year's draft? Second round. I yeah. mean, there's a, it's, it's pounded out that – and I don't want to jump into this guy's shit, but, but like Greedy Williams is a great example. It's like – you know, if, if I'm in if I'm in the first round, I'm taking Greedy Williams. He could end up being a great quarterback, cornerback. He's he's almost developmental in some ways. Yeah, and so that's where it's like that's a I don't know, and he's kind of the number one. I think there's a lot of interesting stories, and I obviously can't remember their names at this point. It's been kind of a long day. Um, in the third and fourth round type thing, but outside of that, I, I this this is a it's a, it's notoriously and definitively the weakest part of this draft class. Yep, agreed. And the Giants kind of lucked into that situation. Now, maybe it wasn't luck. Maybe, you know, they're so far ahead. So thinking so far ahead, and this is probably way big of a stretch considering, you know, what's gone down in the last eight months or whatnot, but that they knew when they took Beal last year in the supplemental draft that they their evaluation was the 20, 2019 class was weak at cornerback. I actually don't think it's too crazy to suggest that because I do believe that they had a lot of people working on this and working on multiple drafts and they're not just looking one draft ahead at a time. So from that standpoint, the Giants, you know, didn't get awful value when it comes to Beal. But obviously, all this is projection until we still, until we see Beal on the field um, and making plays for the Giants. Subwoofer asks, where do the Giants look for a number one wide receiver? Um, we we kind of dove into this, you know. Nick, Nick's probably less risk adverse or less against the possibility of taking one in the first round. But I think even you, Nick, would say that you would be disappointed or you would view it as the wrong move to draft one in round one, correct? I think if you, I mean – the guy that comes to mind is Debo Samuel, and, and that would be if he fell and you had some level where it's – I mean, yeah, maybe I'm just speaking out of turn here, but I think if you are if you had a shot at getting him in the high second, maybe. In a, but that, even then, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, I don't even want him with the 37th pick, Nick, honestly. I just, I'd rather just keep building out the trenches or, or, you know, finding somebody who can fill out some of those positions they need on defense. But I digress. John C. asks, do you think that Evan Ingram will finally see more plays as a wide receiver – to make up for Odell Beckham being gone? Uh, no, still think that he should be the move tight end slash H-back slash hybrid tight end and and move more where basically there's an amoeba, whether they're in 12 personnel or they're in 21 personnel. It comes down to whether or not you view him as a fullback or not. And people, again, I wrote a whole piece on this, and there's been a lot of smart high school coaches actually talking about the growth of this in my timeline, if you guys want to look there, um, and the growth with overall 12 personnel in general. Uh, in the league. So yeah, I definitely think that that's you, you, you need to have one of your tight ends to be flexible and a movable piece. And I think you can be that for the giants. Completely agree with that. And that's what we were hope. what you just described is what I was hoping and expecting kind of that would happen in 2018. We don't know if it would have at some point happened because of the injury was so early in the season and kind of derailed this whole season. But moving forward, I think that we might see that. Uh, Gary Hartman asks, do you have fa- any faith left in Dave Gettleman? <laughs> uh, yes sure you know why not <laughs> I, don't know. I have faith left just based on how he evaluated 2018 draft class and, and the players he made like i said you know a lot of people just who just will hate on gettleman no matter what happens call will hernandez like the easiest pick to ever make and that's again like i said earlier i don't need to go back in this but i think that comment is so stupid because 33 teams didn't didn't draft him and he's to me he was easily a t- he was easy i could i can name Five to ten players, at least, from that draft class, I would have rather him ha- rather have him than, especially now looking back. So, 
what I do have faith in Gettleman is, is, is an ability to evaluate certain positions. And for me, those positions are the positions that are most important to me. The trenches, um, you know, the, the hybrid positions for James Patrick's defense, and then obviously, hopefully quarterback. That one, you know, is more of a work in progress. We'll see where they go with that. But I do have faith that he'll put that decision in that, you know, give more credence to that decision to Pat Shermer, who I do have faith in when it comes to evaluating a quarterback, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, Rob asks, I've been talking myself into trying to believe in what Gettleman was doing. Do you guys think that he knows what he's doing, or is it time to go full Ben McAdoo on him? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that probably went on behind the scenes, and, and who knows how functional the overall setup is. I, I know I'd say I, yeah, I, I don't I'm not trying to like really have an opinion there. I think it's a guess, and it's a guess because of the way that they're that they keep it. And I'm not saying that they're really unique or different in, in, as an NFL organization, but it's just funny just to make a side point on this. Like, have you ever listened to Chris Ballard talk for the Colts? Yep, the GM of the Colts, like. I don't know if, if guys want a little bit of like mental like stability, go fire up anything, any, any speech or any press conference he has on YouTube. He's just kind of sane. And it's like, at some point you think you're going to get that level of sanity back in the press conferences where it's just kind of like a, 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 a back and forth, a dialogue that makes sense and is about football and isn't about basically all this other stuff. Yeah. And, and just, just a quick point on Ballard, since you brought him up, I love what he's done this off season. Colts entered free agency with like a hundred million. He said, screw that. I'm not overpaying for any of these guys. He just re-signed Pierre DeSera, the cornerback that they had kind of had a breakout season with them. But aside from that, there's been kind of no wasted money there. And I think he's building that roster out in the correct way. But on that note, that's all we have for today with the questions. Thanks again, guys, for, you know, sending in so many this week and making this show more interactive. We will be back very soon, pretty much the next time the Giants make a big move. And based on how this offseason has gone and based on how much movement uh, the Giants have made from a uh, from a personnel standpoint since Dave Gettleman took over, that could be as soon as next week. So on that note, we'll leave you with the usual send-off. Go Giants. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.